As a child, I remember my dad having described vivid dreams of airplane crashes that he would later find out were prophetic, as the airplane disasters he was witness to in his dreams came to fruition on the next day's nightly newscast. My dad was an airplane enthusiast, sometimes going to the airport just to watch airplanes land and take off was an enjoyable pastime. He knew how to fly a Cessna, and I believe his lifelong goal was to become an airplane pilot, but that was not to be. He was particularly interested, as a result of his dreams, in airplane crashes. I remember several times, as a child, driving with my dad along Interstate 90 through Chicago and by O'Hare Airport, and sudden silence would befall him. He would glance in the direction of the airport, and his speed would slow. He would drive solemnly past, glancing whenever possible into a field beside the runways. We drove through Chicago, mainly just after midnight, to avoid traffic. Our destination was still hours ahead, but sometimes I would stay up because driving through Chicago at night was fun. Besides, I was always excited to arrive at our family's house in Wonder Lake, Illinois, and meet up with cousins whom I have not seen in months. On one particular night, my dad pointed to the empty field and told me the story of Flight 191, at that time America's worst airplane disaster. He told me also how he had dreamed about the crash about a week before it actually happened. And as it turns out, he was not the only one who dreamed about Flight 191. This is Unsolved Mysteries of the World, Season 4, Episode 11, Flight 191. It was Memorial Day weekend in 1979, and the skies were clear, and there was a mild breeze coming off Lake Michigan when Flight 191 was clear for takeoff, beginning its flight to Los Angeles. The engines wound up, and passengers were safely buckled into their respective seats. Suddenly... As the massive airliner departed the runway, its left engine fell off, disabling critical flight systems. The pilots knew instantly that disaster would follow. The plane rolled quickly and plummeted to the earth, igniting its full jet fuel tanks, creating a massive explosion and fireball visible for miles. The plane impacted an empty field beside a trailer camp, killing all 271 on board and two individuals on the ground as well as severely burning more than two dozen others working at a repair garage. Everyone on board was killed instantly and burned beyond recognition. Besides 9-11, this is still, to this day, the worst airline disaster in American history. It was also the most heavily investigated. The National Transportation Safety Board found that as the aircraft was beginning its takeoff rotation, engine number one, the left engine, separated from the left wing, flipping over the top of the wing and landing on the runway. As the engine separated from the aircraft, it severed hydraulic fluid lines that locked the wing's leading edge slats in place and damaged a three-foot section of the left wing's leading edge. Aerodynamic forces acting on the wing resulted in an uncommanded retraction of the outboard slats. As the aircraft began to climb, the damaged left wing, with no engine, produced far less lift than the right wing, with its slats still deployed and its engine providing full takeoff thrust. The disrupted and unbalanced aerodynamics of the aircraft caused it to roll abruptly to the left, 
until it was partially inverted, reaching a bank angle of 112 degrees before crashing in an open field by a trailer park near the end of the runway. The engine separation was attributed to damage to the pylon structure holding the engine to the wing, caused by improper maintenance procedures used at American Airlines. Examining the cockpit voice recorder was nearly useless as it lost power when the engine detached. The only crash-related audio collected by the recorder is a thumping noise, likely the sound of the engine separating, followed by the first officer saying, Damn, at which point the recording ends. Passengers would have known something was wrong as soon as the engine broke free. The immediate deviation from a normal takeoff and the sudden movements of the airliner would have given them moments to comprehend what was about to occur next. And even more disturbing is the fact that the DC-10 was equipped with a cockpit forward-facing camera positioned just above the captain's shoulders. The images of the camera recorded were projected into the cabin on various screens. Passengers most likely watched as the crew tried to maintain flight, and as the airliner crashed, nosed first into the ground. The crash of Flight 191 brought strong criticism from the media regarding the DC-10's safety and design. The cause of the crash was maintenance-induced damage leading to the separation of the number one engine and pylon assembly at a critical point during takeoff. The separation resulted from damage by improper maintenance procedures, which led to failure of the pylon structure. Prior crashes with similar probable causes allowed the FAA to ground all DC-10s. The investigation also revealed other DC-10s with damage caused by the same faulty maintenance procedures. The faulty procedure was banned, and the aircraft type went on to have a long career as a passenger and cargo aircraft. Perhaps the crashes could have been predicted by maintenance staff and by engineers, or perhaps, in the case of Flight 191, by individuals like actress Lindsay Wagner, Cincinnati office manager David Booth, or by my own father. Lindsay Wagner, famous for her portrayal as the bionic woman in a television series of the same name, arrived at O'Hare early to catch her flight to Los Angeles. Before boarding, she decided to cancel last minute and walk out of the airport. She claims that just before boarding, she had a sickening feeling, felt nauseous, and decided to leave without reason and travel a different day. Her seat was empty on Flight 191. Cincinnati office manager David Booth claims he had visions of the crash in prophetic dreams for 10 consecutive days, prompting him to contact the FAA and place a warning. Here is David Booth and Jack Barker, the FAA Public Affairs Director, speaking about the premonitions. Everybody talks about a dream, but, and everybody has dreams. I didn't have a dream, I had a vision. David Booth is still haunted today by what he lived through over 25 years ago. The dream would always start out in the same way. It was a bright, sunlit day, and I'm looking at a very large airport and a very long runway, and there's a really large plane, and I can see American Airlines. I see the plane starting to taxi on the runway and it gathers up speed. All of a sudden, as it's going off, there's a perception in my mind that 
there's something wrong with the sound that the engine is making. The plane all of a sudden seems to go like almost go straight up in in the air and then it turns just like this and then goes straight down into the ground and explodes in this humongous inferno and then this wave of despair just like a physical object would just hit you right in your chest next morning the same thing the same time right in waking up and it wouldn't stop I've got to do something about this what can I do about this the only thing that I knew to do was to call the FAA and that's what I did fully expecting to just have the phone hung up in me David sounded perfectly sane and credible there was nothing kooky about him at all he'd had a disturbing dream seven nights in a row he had a problem and I listened to him it was my job to do that every day it got worse and worse and worse not knowing what to do not knowing what I was supposed to do not being able to forget an image seared not just into my mind but into the very fabric of my entire being well I would talk to him and, and listen to him David's dream didn't give you enough information to do anything with it didn't give a location it didn't give a flight some numbers which didn't make any sense and I said well thank you there's nothing we can do about it but thank you for the information May 25th 1979 I knew I'll never have this dream again. It's going to happen soon. On a Friday morning, he called again to our Cincinnati office and only patched back into me and said he'd now had the dream 10 nights in a row. Got up, went to work. I was at work for 15 minutes when the phone rang. Dave, I'm sorry to tell you. American Airlines, DC-10. Just crashed an hour ago on takeoff. Nobody survived. In Chicago, taking off from O'Hare Airport, a silver American Airlines airplane that had an engine in the tail crashed, not inverted, but turning, after it passed over an abandoned hangar, a low building. It hit me as to how accurate he was. What he dreamed was, in fact, what basically what happened. You've got to experience that to understand how eerie it is. I still think about, and I always still wonder, was there anything else that I could have done? Was there anything else Jack could have done? I don't think there's any way that David could have done any more than he did. You've got to remember in aviation alone there's over 20 to 25,000 flights a day by the scheduled airlines. So it's, it's difficult to pinpoint a particular future event. In the 30 years I was with FAA, that was the only time anybody ever called in with any kind of a dream like that that I'm aware of. I'm not the only one that these things happen to. I'm just a stupid fool that actually called the FAA before it happened. Each time our 1978 Ford Econoline van drove by O'Hare International Airport, my father looked out at the field where Flight 191 crashed. I could tell he was remembering something. He was somber, quiet, uninterested in his coffee. 
He was driving on instincts and lost in a world all his own. He never did share the exact memories of his dream about Flight 191, but his prophetic dreams just prior to other major airline disasters years later prompted me to believe him. I know what he had seen must have been horrific and perplexing. Recently, I drove on I-90 past O'Hare Airport and past the location of the crash site. I glanced over and was brought back in time. Even though there was the usual Chicago traffic and Rewind 100.3 was playing Bon Jovi on the radio, the interior of the automobile suddenly became quiet, the drive on autopilot, and the bright azure sky turned dark as night. I peered into the past and the wonder of why. Thank you for listening to Unsolved Mysteries of the World. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or your other favorite podcast directory, and subscribe, rate, and review. We would really appreciate your support. If you haven't already, join us on Facebook to enhance this episode with photos, illustrations, and lively discussion. Look for our suggested links and do share this podcast with others. Perhaps you or someone you know will have a solution to this mystery. This podcast is created by Cold Rasta Studios and includes music and sound effects by John Savoy, Albert Ray, Gerardo Garcia Jr., Rana Szilard, Madia Cupelli, Alex Lisi, Martin Kahlberg, and Adrian von Ziegler.